Welcome to our podcast, the title Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is William Henry, and I'm accompanied by Lavelle Jackson and Dan- Daniel Lee. The past few weeks, fellas, we've been discussing some of the versus battles that have taken place um, as of recent. To start things off today, I got a quick question for you. Um, moving forward, who would you, is? are there any versus that you would like to see that hasn't happened yet? Oh man, there's so many possibilities. I'm, I'm not sure if it was versus, but it was, uh, I saw it, there was a matchup against the two groups uh, yesterday on, locally on local radio. It was uh, a tribe called Quest versus the Fugees, which I thought was interesting. Uh, it's definitely a lot of different uh, interesting possibilities when you, you know, mix it up. Um, I've heard uh, Ice Cube versus Scarface, you know, um, things like that. It, it, yeah, thinking about it, it's, it's so many possibilities we can come up with and so many groups that match up. Some that didn't match up, like I heard someone say 3-6 uh, Mafia versus The Roots, and I'm like, where did that come from? But, yeah, it's many different possibilities. Yeah, the ones I want to see, I don't know. I don't think they're going to happen. Like, I would love to see Pharrell against somebody. I've heard Pharrell and Kanye, but I don't think either one of them would do it. I know Pharrell said, all right, he wouldn't do it. Um, there's definitely some, some more to be made. It's just a matter of who's the fit and and or who will put their egos aside enough to make it happen and make it palatable for the fans. Right. There's a lot of, lot of ones still left out there. You know, the one – that they keep mentioning or that created a lot of buzz last week was the JD against Puff, you know, and just like you said, the one with three, six mafia and the roots, like some of those would be style classes and it would just be based on preference in terms of what you like more. But when they talk about the Puffy and JD, I think that would be based on where they have it at. I think just if it's in a neutral ground, I think Puffy has a huge advantage. But like in ATL, I don't think Puffy would get out of there with a victory. And I don't think JD would get out of New York with a victory because they just have, you know, just based on what both of them bring to the table. But now I will say this, as far as previous versus uh, Yonkers is undefeated. Like they probably the only area that has multiple victories. So you got Jada, you got the locks. um, Then you had DMX. Some people say DMX defeated Snoop. They will be four and up because if Mary J go against anybody, I don't think that they will be able to uh, deal with Mary J, especially when she get to dancing and doing that dip. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I think it'll be a wrap. But yeah, it's still interesting. It'll be interesting to see the matchups that they create moving forward. Um, Speaking of what we're here for, as far as what we talk about, you know, in the sport of boxing, we had a huge event yesterday. And you had two former Olympic gold medalists fighting in a, like I say, a huge event out there in um, England. What did you guys think about Usyk and Joshua's? Um, to me, I would say is candidate for fight of the year. But what did you see happening throughout the course of that fight? In my fifty cent voice. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> uh, first off, uh, I'm gonna make a public apology to uh, Alexander Usyk. Um, it's not like that that I was low on him or anything like that. If anything, you know, he was on my the first time we did our pound pound list. Uh, he was he was on there, 
And, you know, we, we saw the genius, but then once he started moving up to heavyweight, it looked like he was uh, struggling a bit. But now it seems like he, more so that he was, you know, he had it all figured out all along that he was, you know, hunting his style so he can compete with the, you know, the AJs of the world. So I apologize for letting them slip. I thought I, that he dropped off of our uh, consecutive pound for pound list, but actually on mine, he dropped uh, from, I believe it was his highest on the pound for pound list for me was six and he dropped to nine. So uh, I think going forward, uh, I'll have to reevaluate where he's placed now. Um, now, going to the fight, if you haven't seen it, uh, Alexander Usyk, he won a, a unanimous decision. Uh, I believe it was a 115 and 113 on one scorecard and uh, 116 to 112 on one and 117 to 111. Uh, I thought the 115 and 113 was way too close. Um, to be honest, only I, I didn't give AJ no more than three rounds. I believe it was he won the, uh, the fifth, the eighth, maybe the sixth or ninth, but I don't see him winning any more than three or four rounds. Um, it was a beautiful performance by Alexander Usyk. Uh, it, it wasn't even the fact that he he beat Joshua. It was the way he did it. Uh, he, he really went in there. He got Joshua's respect early. I mean, he was tagging him a few times. He did, uh, Usyk didn't get, he didn't get reckless or anything. He, he was moved from side to side, used a lot of lateral movement, but uh, used a southpaw jab as a range finder. And it was interesting that Joshua, instead of, you know, playing the bigger man or playing the taller man and trying to throw a, a commanding jab, he was too, Joshua was way too uh, apprehensive of being tagged with counters. So Joshua was more willing to play with him with the, with the jabs. It was almost like watching a, a fencing match at times that Usyk was winning. And once Usyk start, you know, landing, you know, straight lefts, uh, and start tagging uh, Joshua. You can see that the, the, the whole demeanor of AJ changed. Uh, he was very, uh, he knew he was in trouble. Uh, his corner knew that, that this was the issue. Um, and also when, once Joshua started to, to uh, land shots on, uh, on Usyk, uh, the, the crazy thing is once he snapped Usyk's head back and Usyk didn't go anywhere, I noticed that Joshua probably was not going to win this fight. He wasn't going to, um, stop Usyk because I, I thought that previously his size would be a factor and his strength would be a factor but it made me also reevaluate what we what we say is a a, a size advantage because sometimes it, it depends on how you use it and also a lack of size could also be advantage also as we've seen with guys like uh Canelo Mayweather Pacquiao and now Usyk uh these guys they, they, they tend to excel with bigger guys and sometimes they struggle with guys that are their size or smaller. So sometimes uh, a lack of size can be almost an advantage and Usyk really uh, used it, used that to his advantage. And, you know, Joshua just, you know, I think mentally he was getting to fall apart. Um, I, I think that he was almost on the verge of getting hurt in a, in the last round. I think really that uh, Usyk was piling on him when it was really Joshua that needed it. Uh, a knockout um so and i didn't like how aj threw, threw that lazy jab but i think that was more a fear of being countered so Usyk, uh i mean I, I, it was a great performance by him again i apologize to Usyk. i'm a believer uh, um and and i'll be excited to see what's uh moving forward for him yes sir i actually had it um either 
I've had it like a, either 115, 113, 116, 112, but probably 116, 112. It was a couple of rounds that I thought were close, but that was like the widest. If it was 115, 113, it was the widest 115, 113 you possibly could have um, in a fight. But going into it, um, first and foremost, I just want to say congratulations to Alexander Usu who put on a masterful performance. If you, I had him in my top 10. Like I said, I, I just started to recognize him a little bit more. Initially, I didn't. When he moved up to heavyweight fighting Chaz Witherspoon and then Chisora, he just didn't look impressive. But then I had a chance to see that world series of boxing um, bout that he had against Joe Joyce. And when I saw that, then I knew the beauty of his style. I said, oh, okay, this dude is a winner. So what he's doing is in his fights, he's just making sure that he does everything that he can do in order to win. Then I went back and saw some of his, his cruiserweight fights, and I was like, yeah, yeah, he, he knows what he's doing in there. Um, and then leading up to this fight, I had a 55-45 in favor of Justin just based on the size, but I thought as far as the skills and stuff from what I seen from Usyk that he had a legitimate shot. Then I knew he had even more of a legitimate shot when I saw in that after the weigh-in, Usyk held up his phone and wanted to take a selfie with Josh when Josh was on there, like really playing around. He was doing the same thing with Ruiz. You know what I mean? And so when I saw that, he, him taking a picture and he has that, like making a crazy face look, but he's really happy to, you know, be in the presence of Usyk taking a picture. I knew Usyk had him because Usyk is like a snake charmer, right? He does that. See, it's different when he's taking a picture with you because he's checking your temperature. You're not doing that. And so when I saw Chisora doing that, I said, oh, he's not going to have that edge going into this fight. They really want to put some damage on him, you know. And so he, he's going right up Usyk's alley. And Usyk really doesn't like you. Really, you know, he might like you, but he don't like you in terms of when we're about to fight. It's only a few guys who can do those type of things. You got like Manny Pacquiao, maybe Nonito Donaire, um, maybe a new way. But those are like all of them are, are Asian guys. It's, 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 it's things that in their culture that might be a little bit different then also donaire and um pacquiao they elder statesmen pacquiao wasn't doing that when he was fighting you know like playful and stuff like that when he was fighting guys like eric morales when he was on a come up when he was young and he was hungry he was fighting hatton he wasn't doing that type of stuff he was really a killer you know what i mean in, in there so now as he has gotten older and honed his skills and things like that and he knows what it is that he needs to do he don't have to do that he can turn it on when he wants to in terms of that um like when it's time to fight AJ isn't there yet. He's always shown that vulnerability in terms of his killer instinct. So I kind of knew I, I have it even more of an even type fight going into it just based on that. I also want to shout out that crowd. That crowd was electric out there in the UK. Um, it was good to see all of those fight fans there. Hopefully they uh, got vaccinated and they're not going to spread COVID. But now, as far as the fight is concerned, um, as you said, Vail, Usyk got off to a good start. That was going to be very important for him to get AJ's respect early and he landed some big lefts and so I also saw Usyk in there he was gauging the distance so he was up in there and out the gate what you could see is that movement like Usyk has like it's certain things that he's gonna do that a heavyweight just can't be prepared for especially somebody like AJ he's moving so fast that it's putting so much mental pressure on AJ he doesn't know what's going to come next. And then he also like will flail his hand up a little bit, like just to even cause more of a distraction. And how can a guy like AJ be prepared? Like those, those feet, like he has some really good feet. How can you be prepared for somebody who's coming at you like that early on? You know, you're already a little jittery 
And so he took advantage of that and he was on the inside and he was gauging the distance to see how I can get this left hand off. The other thing AJ was doing early on too, he would hit AJ every time he would square up. Like he was just gauging the distance, gauging this boom, and then he would hit him. But he caught him enough where he got that respect. And like I said, AJ, nobody likes to get hit, but AJ more so than other guys, he's trying to protect that chin. Um, so yeah, he was gauging the distance and he would always dip down to the left, like when he get out. So he would avoid that right hand from AJ. He would avoid the big right hand. He was just being real pesky and he had great rhythm to start the fight off. And he was utilizing the, uh, like different levels of shots that he was picking. Um, looking very, very unorthodox, nonstop movement. And then, like I said, Uzik always have a good knack for getting out of the way of those big shots. So he did a really good job that first round. And so, you know, I think everybody would have gave Usyk the first round. I thought the second round, I gave that one to, that one to Usyk. And then the third round is when it really got interesting because he hurt AJ with a big left. And so he definitely got those first three rounds. And then the fourth round to me, AJ responded really well from being hurt. I think Usyk still won that round, so I gave Usyk the four. And then here's when the tide shifted. So rounds five, round six. Um, I gave round seven to Usyk because he landed another big left. Um, and then AJ came back strong, landed some bigger shots in the eighth round. By the ninth round, AJ, his eyes started to swell up. I think he got hit with something. And then that caused swelling around his eye. I thought round nine was kind of even, but here's the deal. AJ, his, his tank, like a lot of times AJ gets tired. And so for him to have to muster up a comeback in those middle rounds, that was going to take something out of him because it's always points and periods in the fight where he gets a little fatigue. He did that against um, Klitschko. Klitschko clocked him and put him down once that happened, but he got a second win. But this time he was, ex you know, exerting so much energy that, you know, he started to noticeably um, tire a little bit or a lot, you know, around round eight, round nine. And then it was all Usyk from rounds 10, 11, and 12. And then round 12, he punctuated you know, his victory by almost knocking AJ out with an onslaught of punches, a barrage of punches, and AJ um, barely made it to the final bell. Um, awesome performance by Usyk, you know. And on the flip side of that, Usyk didn't even look tired after the fight. You know, they're saying that it's a rematch clause there. Um, that's going to be another great pay payday for Usyk. And so, um, yeah, very good win for my main man, Alexander Uso. Yeah, you know, um, you guys have said a lot of it. I'll just kind of go through how I saw it, which is pretty similar. Um, I personally scored it 116-112 in Usyk's favor. Um, yeah, in the earlier rounds, uh, Usyk really came out as an aggressor, which, you know, the commentators didn't seem to expect. But, you know, that head movement and the feints, he would catch AJ here and, here and there. Nothing like hurt him or anything, but just catch him enough, open enough to land punches. Um, I thought AJ wasn't moving his feet enough and was kind of too passive. And he really, really, really needed to get his head off center because he was getting caught too, too much with that straight left. Uh, so I pretty much gave the first three rounds to Uzi. Um, in the fourth round, I thought AJ reacted better to the feints and produced just enough offense to win. I gave Usyk the fifth. Um, his constant movement just forced AJ to stay on his feet. I, I think that, you know, people, I think that coming in, the reason why I thought AJ was going to win was I thought that he was going to 
even though he came in on his on the leaner side, I thought he was still gonna use his size to impose his will. But Usyk was smart in that his movement forced AJ to stay on his feet, and so he could rarely find time to sit down on his punches to throw anything of significance. So his punches kind of came off to me just looking at it as opposed to what he normally used to throwing. For a 240-pound action figure, his punches kind of came off as like pity pat. Like, yeah, he hurt Uzi against some spots, but the vast majority of them were like while he was on his toes. But um, in the sixth round, AJ gained confidence and kind of walked Usyk down for the majority of the round and caught him with two big shots towards the end of the round. Seven was one of the hardest to score because they just traded for a good portion of it, but Usyk did find range towards the end. AJ didn't really have an answer. And AJ applied pressure early in the eighth. And I think that Usyk started to land towards the end, but I thought I gave that to AJ. In the ninth, he walked Usyk down. And Usyk sort of caught his breath. This was like the only round that you could maybe argue that Usyk kind of took off in terms of just kind of regaining his, his energy. Uh, he did get a good power shot off towards the end, but AJ had already done enough to win. And yeah, I gave 10 to, 10 to 12 to Usyk. And I think 11 is when Usyk turned it up. And overall, he just seemed to just really want it more. And maybe it was the stamina that you brought up, Will, but it seemed like he didn't he didn't have, A, an answer to Usyk's adjustment, to his adjustment. And B, it seemed like he kind of like lacked grit in those instances. Um, and, you know, Usyk's constant pressure throughout the fight made AJ reluctant to let his hands go. Because, you know, in my mind, it's easy for me to say that because I never fought 12 rounds before. But in my mind, I know what's on the line. I have three belts. I'm like, look, you got to let your hands go, Daniel. You know what I mean? Um, so um, he didn't have that. And maybe and maybe we could just attribute it towards the stamina. But, yeah, and then the 12th, uh, AJ was actually hurt the majority of the round. I, I thought that if he wouldn't have – I just think that, yeah, when, when it was like 10, 12 seconds to go, he could have easily been knocked down in that moment. Um, but he just kind of made it towards the end at that point. You could tell by the body language at the end of the fight from both fighters who won and who lost. Usyk was still walking around. AJ was just kind of in the corner, didn't took some time to get up. And, you know, outside of the boxing ability in those championship rounds, Usyk showed why he's been able to do what he's done in his career, you know. Um, at some points in the fight, they talked about how he said he doesn't box for money or for wins. He just fights for glory. And I kind of get the sense, if you were to compare that, I kind of get the sense that AJ, in a way, treats boxing like a job. You know, like he is athletically gifted and and he's smart enough to have made it as an elite heavyweight up to this point off of talent and size. But it just seems like Usyk, it, it does seem like Usyk would do this for free. You know what I mean? And so on top of the boxing ability, he just, that, that just kind of gave him the edge as well. And so, um, yeah, I think that's all I got. You guys have anything else on the fight itself? Yeah, I'll say this. It's, it's the, it, it, that's a great point. It's the fact that you got somebody who's willing to get down, you know, and get gritty in order to get a victory. And then you got somebody else who really isn't. And Klitschko kind of alluded to that before when he took the fight after being off for so long and coming off that loss to um, Fury. That's why he was taking the AJ fight, because he was saying that, 
you know, dude is an athlete. You know what I mean? He can box, he can fight, but, you know, he's an athlete first. And so that's the reason why he thought that he stood a good chance of, of defeating AJ when they fought. And then and it's, it, you can look at it in different aspects of life too. Like we start the show up talking about versus. And if you think about certain matchups, a lot of times those people who are willing to just get gritty, those are the ones who end up being most successful and victorious because you can kind of sense that as a spectator, like this person right here is really giving it their all and, you know, they're passionate about what it is they do. You think about the last few ones, like Ja Rule. You can tell that Ja Rule was just up in there giving everything he had. The dip set versus the locks. The locks were just too gritty for him. You know what I mean? Like they're doing anything at all costs to get this victory when the dip set is up there, you know, doing everything but the elements of what it is they're supposed to be doing in order to try to get a victory, trying to look a certain way as opposed to like getting out there and getting it. And I think Usyk, that's why I said he's a winner. Like when, That's a great attribute to have as an athlete is that you hate to lose and you'll do anything to win. And I just don't think AJ has that in him. Um, and then it's a couple other limitations. As big and brawny as he is, that chin is always going to be a, a, a problem. That, that he's going to have stamina issues. You know, he, he got all of those muscles. And then the other thing is, you know, and I hate to say this, but I just honestly, I feel like, he has a 10-man heart. Like He's not going to get in there and do what it is. Like You can just see, his, like you said, in his body language afterwards, when that those type of things are happening to him. It, it's In boxing, you got two type of guys. You got guys, if they get hit, like a Vander Holyfield, if he get hit, he coming right back at you. Like That's just in his nature to do that. AJ is going to kind of shell up, and he's kind of defeated already. And so... You know, that's, that was his demise um, yesterday. You can't go in there um, with a guy like Usyk and, you know, with those limitations. Yeah, it was almost like they both went into rounds 11 and 12. Like, they both knew that AJ needed the knockout. But Usyk, Usyk's mindset was, not only am I not going to let him get the knockout, but I'm going to put the pressure on, you know? And it, it was just like AJ didn't have an answer to that. But um, did you have anything available? Uh, no, no, it, it was an excellent fight. You know, uh, as a heavyweight, yeah, yeah, I could see it being. It was a great fight. It could have been contender uh, fight a year. Uh, certain fights I thought were, were were better than it, though. I have to enjoy it more. But you know, we we will get to that. Uh, get to that 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 award at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, I I could see it. It's definitely a contender for fight of the year at minimum because it was just a great heavyweight fight. I saw uh, Roy Jones talking about it afterwards, and uh, he was saying those best heavyweight fights are when you have a puncher against a boxer, and that's kind of what you had with that. And it just it was just a recipe for a, a great one because it was their first. It wasn't AJ's first real test at heavyweight, but it was Usyk's, and you know. Rusev's pedigree, it was just, it, it was a whole lot of questions going into it, and they were all answered. But you got something, Will? No, I was just going to say, and you got to factor in the stakes, right? Mm-hmm. Some fights might have been a little bit better. You might have some guys who are fighting, and they had, like, a tremendous fight. But the stakes, you got two former gold medalists mm-hmm. at the former undisputed cruiserweight champ going against the champion who has the most belts at heavyweight. You got the size differential. You got 
the crowd that was there, that raucous crowd. So it was just so much at stake that you can kind of catapult that fight above the others because of what was at stake. A lot of fights, yeah, that's true. Cause, yeah, because that would that would make it better in the uh, the cruiser weight fight that was on, uh, I think, a few months ago. I'm not sure if the stakes in that fight was higher than than the Gonzalez Estrada because that had that had some, you know some uh effects to it that some implications of, of whether one becomes an all-time great or not or hall of fame or not and i thought the stakes were higher but i see what you're saying as far as the heavyweight fight it definitely was was one of the better fights i've seen in a while because they these guys actually did even aj he actually did throw punches you know he and yeah he had some stamina issues but he didn't accept this he didn't, wasn't the type that you know i've seen, seen many heavyweights throw like five punches and all of a sudden they're tired and they're laying and they're laying over each other and stuff like that. And this was not that type of fight. Yeah. And, and one more thing that I, I want to say uh, before we move forward, I, I also want to shout out Usyk before something that we haven't pointed out yet. I just want to shout him out for not only what he's done in his professional career, but how he's done it. Um, in 2016, when he fought Christoph Gwawoski, for the first cruiserweight belt that he won, he fought him in his home country of Poland. And then his first and second title defenses were he fought Marco Hoop in Germany, Breedis in Latvia, the Unified, Gassiev in Russia, they become undisputed. And then he went and knocked out Bell U in London. He went back to America, fought Chaz Witherspoon, beat him. And then now he, and then he went to the UK to beat Joshua in his home country. And so it's like, what else can you say? You know what I mean? Like in his, well, he's 18 and 0 now. It you could argue it took him 18 professional fights to to submit himself in the Hall of Fame. So massive respect to him. And shout out to AJ too, because you know, he took the challenge and you know, I don't want to diminish his accomplishments accomplishments either. Uh he he's also a warrior, you know, despite you know, me being critical of him, he's a warrior as well because it, it, you got to be a dog to get in that ring yeah, either way. But y'all know what we do at, when we had these big fights. Where do these fighters go from here? Well, uh, with AJ, I'm a little more critical of AJ um, because of the fact that I think that they were trying to fool people, you know? And the fooling came when... Well, let me start here. It's like when you guys mentioned... Jaime Munguia, and you said that Jaime Munguia, he defeated Saddam Ali in an impressive, such impressive fashion, and he got a belt early that the expectations were too high for him at that particular time because he was young and he wasn't polished yet. I think the same thing holds true for AJ. The only difference is they were not trying to make Jaime Munguia out to be anything other than what he was. But for AJ, as soon as he went and got those belts or got that belt from Charles Martin. For one, it was a disservice to him because again, once you get a belt, you should be polished enough to be able to take on all comers. That's why you're the world champion. He wasn't polished enough to take on all um, comers because he was still like a work in progress. He was still good enough to be somebody like Charles Martin, but it was certain fighters that you still probably want to keep him away from. And it was certain things that he still had to work on that 
if he didn't have the belts, it would have been okay to do those type of things. But he was selling out arena so much that were um, his promotion game with Eddie Hearn was like immaculate. So he, you have this guy who has all of this, um, this, this huge following. And now you still got to keep up this facade of what he brings to the table. And so they were angling him. See, when, when I knew something was, was, was um, kind of fishy was when they didn't take the Wilder fight. And at that time, the way AJ was, was like doing away with his opponents, I thought he would be favored against Wilder. I'm like, man, they offering this dude like $50 million to take the Wilder fight. Go ahead and go for it. You know what I mean? Because you punch them like that, you're knocking these dudes out, but they were keeping him away from certain fighters. It was certain fighters that they would have him face, Dillian White, they'd have him face Joseph Parker, um, people like that, right? But they would not have him face a King Kong Ortiz. Some people will say, well, he tried to get King Kong Ortiz fight. They tried to give him a contract, but King Kong Ortiz was trying to get the fight against Wilder again because he thought that he should have beat Wilder. So that's when they dangled a contract in front of him. He declined that to fight Wilder. That's what that was. But um, knowing that he wasn't going to accept that fight, especially for the money that they were um, offering. And then also, like I said, the Wilder fight, like if he would have took that and if he would have showed, and then it was also the excuses that he was making. So um, with that being said, I think that they should use this opportunity to bring AJ back, you know, and, and, and work on those things that he needs to work on, you know, and get him as best as he possibly can within the next like year or so build that those confidence back up and then work on little things that can make him the best he possibly can be and then shoot for the stars. That's what I think they should do for him. Get him somebody. Um, I don't know, not some guys who can hit, you know, I think that that'd be uh, detrimental to old AJ, um, but just get him a, a couple, I would say light touches, you know what I mean? Like work on some things and, and like I say, get his confidence back up. Now, as far as now, I, I don't think that's what they're going to do. I think what's going to happen is if, you know, history repeats itself after he lost to Ruiz, he wanted to get right back in there with Ruiz and he got the fight and he got um, his belts back. And I think that if he did decide to just go ahead and try to get his rematch against Usyk, the things that he should do is he needs to get somebody in there. He might even have to get somebody like a Sean Porter, like even though that seems crazy, just to have somebody come in there in the same manner in which Usyk, like that unorthodox way that Porter approaches a fighter, not necessarily trying to, you know, do anything other than to gauge that timing of when Usyk does that little herky-jerky stuff because he's not going to be able to figure that out because there's nobody to prepare him for Usyk outside of guys like a, a Sean Porter or something like that. Um, also, if he fights Usyk, he should just box, 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 and box, and then land some big shots that way, as opposed to allowing Usyk to get close to him to gauge that distance. As far as Usyk, I think that he's just going to go for the big fights, you know? So more than likely, it's probably going to be an AJ rematch. And I would favor him in that rematch, you know, very similar to what we saw this time, unless AJ decides to box him. If he decides to go ahead and take that Ruiz approach, I think he can get a victory that way. It won't be the prettiest victory. It won't look the best being the fact that he's so much bigger than Usyk but that's a way that he can go ahead and get a victory. Um, also with Usyk, he may take the Wilder or Fury winner. I definitely don't like his chance against Fury because Fury is going to do what Chisora and AJ didn't do. He's going to do big man stuff. He's going to get him tired. He's going to lay on him. He's going to do whatever. They, he's a winner too. 
You know what I mean? He's not going to play around with us. He's going to do everything he can do to win. If he got to elbow you, headbutt you, or whatever. Um, I don't see him beating um, Fury and then Wilder. If Wilder wins, I don't I don't like this chance against Wilder either because I think at some point Wilder's going to land one of those big right hands, big left hands, and he's a little bit taller than AJ. He's not going to let you gauge the distance like that, and then he's going to pluck you with one of those rights. So those are the places I see both guys going. Um, if it's a rematch, I favor Usyk this time, probably 60-40. Yeah, you made good points. I mean – I can tell you what will happen. AJ is going to exercise that rematch clause. Um, I don't think AJ is going to be able to fix, quote unquote, fix whatever it is he would need to fix in order to beat Usyk because, you know, he's just a better boxer. I, I do think it's possible for him to get a win out. So I think he's going to do that. But I do agree with you in the sense that it will be better to sort of build him back up. And I do agree with, yeah, they kind of maximized who he was based on what, based on the full package that he presented. Uh, you know what I mean? So I, I think it would be a better idea to build him back up from scratch and then maybe have that match, maybe revisit that match down the road. Because, you know, another thing to consider is that, like, I look at it similar, in a, in a way similar, but not really to when Fury, when, when Fury first took that Wilder fight. And people thought he kind of took it too early because he had like just lost that 140 pounds. And it was like, that was, and I'm not saying like, you know, if Wilder wins in two weeks, maybe this point becomes moot, but it was almost like, to me, it was like your best chance to be Fury was when he was in that kind of like raw form of just coming back. And similar to that, like whenever AJ was going to fight Usyk, his best chance was going to be, when Us like yesterday, when or Saturday when Usyk was probably that was as big as he had been at heavyweight, but he's going to have more time to fill out his heavyweight body, and you know like I don't think that's gonna favor AJ because Usyk already has a mind game one, but um yeah I mean assuming the rematch actually does happen, um it's possible I know that if, if Usyk wins that he's gonna want to unify versus the fury wilder winner and then maybe the loser fights the loser or or they go back through the ranks or whatever but but yeah i think the immediate future is that rematch is going to happen and then it'll be interesting to at that point to revisit and then it's like okay and then because by that point you know fury would have fought wilder and it's like okay now where do we go from here but i don't have much else to add right now yeah you guys made some some excellent points um there is a rematch clause, and from what I see, Joshua wants to, to, to exercise it. And, and Usyk, you know, he, he don't mind taking it. And he also said if that rematch doesn't come through, he's willing to, to fight, you know, a Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder. Um, I, I think I agree with, you, with what both of you guys said. They should rebuild him. He should take a couple more fights uh, before he get in the ring uh, with Usyk again. I think Usyk has the... The, the mind game one, he has the, he basically physically beat him pretty much. Um, I, I, if, if AJ doesn't change anything drastically, I, I could actually see uh, Usyk stopping him in the rematch, you know, because it, it's, it's, it's all about the mind and Usyk is not like Andy Ruiz, you know, this is not somebody you can make a few adjustments and just beat. Usyk, you better believe Usyk is going to, is taking his notes also, is going to come back even better. And that's why I say it's possible that Usyk 
could probably even stop him in a rematch because you know Usyk is the guy that's trying to figure you out and he are I believe he already has AJ figured out mentally and and, and physically um but that rematch is probably going to happen uh hopefully I hear there may be an issue with Joshua's eye socket um so that's not even a, a, a given uh in between and Usyk may need a, a stay busy fight in between in but of course Usyk is uh willing to fight uh Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder. Um, I, I'm not sure what those bad fights for him. I, I think they're closer and closer to being 50-50 fights. Um, I think Fury will could fight as a big man, but Fury is the type of fighter he ha- that has to be up for a certain opponent. And if he overlooks, we would say looking at him just a smaller man or doesn't train, uh, he might end up in a you know in a long night. And plus, Fury sometimes will fight to the level of his opponent they're really good or really bad you know and uh fury really has to be up for opponent and really um in the fight with wilder he was more so up for wilder because he knew what wilder could do and you know wilder did put him down twice and got a draw at it so um i'm not sure it depends on if fury is is up for the fight uh with wilder i think it's a tale of extremes it's it's it all lies on whether Wilder can land his punches and what happens when he lands those punches. Because uh, with punchers, they, especially with Deontay Wilder, he relies on that punch and he lives and dies by it. And sometimes that could be a dangerous game because what if one, that punch doesn't come or two, the person takes your punches. And Usyk uh, is, is capable of doing both. And, and and we saw how some of that played out in an AJ fight where when AJ did hit Usyk and, and Usyk's head snapped back cleanly and Usyk wasn't even affected by it and he came back stronger, that kind of broke AJ down mentally. Um, and, and I know Wilder is definitely different mentally. I mean, he's going to always rely on that punch. But, you know, just like with uh, Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson, um, once uh, Tyson was landing those shots on Holyfield in the first round and Holyfield came back and it didn't really hurt Holyfield. The fight was over. And even the rematch, people were, the rematch was one of the biggest fights, heavyweight fights, uh, you know, as, as far as being anticipated. But in the mind of a boxing fan, that Tyson-Holyfield fight was over already because I, I felt like I seen it already was going to happen. You know, Tyson can't really, Dieter Holyfield, he can't hurt him pretty much. So I, I kind of, I'm on a fence with uh, Usyk Wilder. Um, it all depends on whether uh, or not Wilder can land that shot and what happens when he does. And, and if he can't or does or nothing happens, that's a long night because he's not outboxing Usyk, you know. So, um, I, I, and also there's other fights that can be made at heavyweight for uh, Usyk. Um, I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him against Andy Ruiz putting a beat down on Ruiz. <laughs> so uh, the sky's the limit. Um, we'll see what happens with with uh, those future fights. Uh, anything else, guy? You guys want to share? Oh yeah, it's a couple of things. Uh, one, I'm gonna start with. You made a point about. Well, let me tell you. I think that I would favor both. Now, this is Wilder right now, and Wilder, if he's still the same Wilder that he was before getting stopped by Fury, if he's the same Wilder, I, I don't see Usyk, because I don't see Usyk winning. And the reason why I don't see him winning is because, see, AJ, 
like I said, he sat there like right in front of him. AJ is like a little bit shorter than Wilder, and the way he fights is different. Wilder already has his head like up. He fights tall. AJ does to a certain degree, but not like Wilder. Wilder is like, like uh, he, he does, and I know some people say, well, he's not Jack Johnson, but Jack Johnson used to fight like that too, where he had his head in, a, in an area where it's hard to hit for somebody who's smaller. And as far as him trying to outbox Usyk, he's not going to try. See, that was Joshua's problem. The first half of the fight, he's trying to outbox somebody that's very difficult, like one of the superb, supreme fighters in the game. You're not. And so he already um, played himself, right? And so Wilder's not going to do that. Now, the other thing when you said if he's able to take Wilder, he's not going to take Wilder's punches. No, he's not. Like The good thing about Ustik, Ustik has that salamander turtle poking out the shell type head, like especially now that he's shaving his head and then you put some grease on that head, it makes it even more difficult to hit clean, you know, because he's going to lean his head. He's very good at that. But sometimes he does get hit and he does have a good enough chin to be able to absorb maybe one or two shots from somebody who, who can punch. But Wilder can punch, like I say, with, with cheese on top. So that's going to be a little bit different. And if he gets him hurt, Wilder's going to go for the gusto. And so that's going to be a little bit different. Fury, on the other hand, I think I would give him the advantage because this would be the first guy. Fury is going to at least be 260. And Fury is going to use all of that 260 to clinch, sit on um, Usyk, make sure that he was wearing him out. Like Usyk is going to be really tired and fatigued in that fight. Unlike when he fought Chisora, unlike when he fought AJ, because those guys don't do those type of things. Like they just come in there, Chisora's gonna wing his shots, not trying to clinch or anything like that. Joshua the same way. He's kind of like weary of being on the inside because he's not a good inside fighter. But Fury is, is, is gonna get in there, rough him up, and Fury can fight on the inside. So even if they're in that short distance, he can land some clubbing shots on them to, to, to wear him down. So that's the thing that I think that um, Fury would have over Usyk. Hey, your points noted, but hey, I doubted Usyk. I'm not going to doubt him again. Skills, somehow it pays the bills. <laughs> that's, that's it for me. Yeah, I'm going to say, man, I want, I want to applaud myself. You know what I mean? And, and, and listeners, you can go ahead and give me a standing ovation as well. I think I called that one right there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah you did. You even caught it. Yeah. <laughs> you tried to tell me, but you know, I'm a believer now. Yeah, no, that's a bad boy, man. You gotta, you gotta give him his respect. Let me ask you fellas this. What where would you have him now? Like as of today, where would you have him in your pound for pound right? He can't be no lower than four. Somewhere between two and four. I would still give Canelo the edge at number one because just because his resume and what he's done over the course of like you know, almost 60 fights, but but Spence, Fury, I, I don't know if I could put him over Fury either because I don't, you know, that's an actual match that could happen, but that number three spot easily up for grabs. What y'all think? Yeah, I don't know, but I don't know, but I, I think it's higher than the, uh, the number nine I put in last time. Uh, actually, I think I had, uh, had Tiafimo Lopez, Juan Estrada, and I, and I uh, 
few other guys above him. I'm not sure about that. He, he's going to end up in, in, in the mid, probably uh, upper mid part of Papapolis. Yeah, I, I would put him at number two. And the reason why I put him at number two is because he's doing it at multiple weight classes. And he beat, you know, arguably the number two heavyweight right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm a the cruiserweight, all of the, you know, accolades that he had at cruiserweight in terms of being an undisputed champ. And then to be able to cap that off with a heavyweight title, that's rare. Like, who else has done that in history? I know at Holyfield, I can't think of anybody else. Uh, well, well, not really cruiserweight, but it's been a few people who moved up from light heavyweight. So I, I say like a Michael Spinks or something like that. Yeah, I'm talking about cruiserweight, but yeah, you're right. Michael a cruiserweight is a heavier weight than light heavyweight. That's what I'm saying. It's, even though I think I think today, I think the, the, the weight jump is more because cruiserweight to heavyweight, the heavyweight is so much bigger. But I do think light heavyweight, a lot of guys went from light heavyweight to heavyweight, which is about 25 pounds. Right. Let's see. Uh, Typically, historically, lightweights have been looked at as better than cruiserweights because light heavyweight, like, it's more skill-wise, like, historically. uh, That's true. Bob Bob Foster, uh, Michael Spinks, you know, Andre Ward, you know, the list goes on and on. But cruiserweight, that used to be like a pit stop, you know what I'm saying? Or guys wasn't good enough, really, to be a heavyweight or... They were just a little too small or whatever. I'm just that's the only reason I'm looking at it like that. But regardless, for him to come up to do what he did that's unique historically and how he did it, you know, accolades that cruiserweight. I don't see anybody else. Like I can't, he that's more than what Earl Spence has done. You know, Earl Spence's campaign at 147. And so now a new way, but I don't think a new way has a Anthony Joshua on his resume. Not at the time he fought. Don't you can't say Donaire because Donaire is a little longer too. Still good, but I don't think that that's a AJ victory. So that's the reason why I would propel him to number two at this particular point because he looked so good yesterday. I can see, but it's, it's, it's an argument either way though. You know? Yeah, that's how I was, I was gonna go with those pound for pound lists. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Uh, moving along, uh, there was another fight uh, last night. A few fights actually. One that that that. Uh, caught my eye was the cruiserweight bout uh, against Lawrence uh, Okolai and Dillian Prasovic. Uh, did you guys check it out? What were your thoughts on it? I did. Uh, quick rundown. So Okolai is 17-0, 14 knockouts, 6'5", 82-inch reach, 28 years old. He last uh, knocked out Glavosky for the vacant WBO cruiserweight belt. Prasovic is 15 and now one, 12 knockouts, 26 years old, last knocked out, Tomislav Rudon. Now, Prasovic was offered step-aside money so Akoli could unify the belts. Akoli knows he's living off borrowed time in the cruiserweight division, so he's trying to collect as many belts as possible for his body. He's like, all right, time's up, time to move to heavyweight. And, <laughs> yeah, man, Prasovic should have taken that step-aside money. Uh <laughs> The first round, though, um, I had it 10-10. I, I felt like Okoli was trying to find his range, but overall, neither really did enough to tilt the scale. Uh, the second round was, of course, a 10-8 round. Uh, Okoli did find range, enough to get some, some jabs to the body off. And so that was going to win the round anyway, but then towards the end of the round, he caught on with a beautiful overhand right that put him down. And then round three, 
you know, he caught him with a hook to the body, and that was all she wrote. Um, I thought that Akoli fought a, a good fight. Um, this is his first title defense, and I thought he did what he had to do. And, you know, again, he's living off borrowed time at Cruiserweight. I don't know how much how much longer he's going to be here, but I imagine he's going to look to unify again. And I don't think there should be anything standing in his way this time. But uh, it was a good, you know, it was a good show for him. Yeah, I thought it was a good win. Um, it was interesting with, with Akola. It's funny because a lot of times you don't see his knockouts coming. I know I saw it. I, I had these same views. The last fight I saw, he's always setting these shots up, and it's come out of nowhere. Like, like when he when he starts hurting guys, um, but yeah, he put him down with the with the uh, left hook to the ribs. I thought he was going to stop him with a head shot, and that was going to be it. But uh, he, he hit the guy in the left hook with the ribs off the counter, and that was all she wrote. Uh, for Savic, he he stayed down. Uh, he brought up an interesting point about you know he's trying to collect the belts before he moved to to uh, heavyweight. Um, if I were him, I would hold on as much as I can. I know he wants the heavyweight money, but um, I don't know how I feel about that because it, 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 yeah, we just talked about another cruiserweight who moved up, but that's a different type of fighter and he fights different. Um, I, I think a Coli, um, I want to see him take on a, a few more guys and a few more opponent named opponents before he starts going up past the level he's supposed to be at, just like uh, uh, Anthony Joshua. I'm not sure if he's 100% ready to start taking on certain challenges, but who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But it was a good win. Uh, he's definitely a guy uh, to watch uh, at Cruiserweight right now. Maybe at Hayway. I know he's a, a, a tall guy, about 6'5", with an 82-inch wingspan. Um, but who knows? We'll see. Before you start with, I was going to say, so the reason why I was saying he's going to borrow time, I think he is going to hold out at, at Cruiser as long as he can. But I think, you know, when you 6'5", your body at some point, you know, he's 28. At some point, your body going to be like, yeah, I can't make that weight limit no more. But that's all. That's what he said. He said that he has three fights left at Cruiserweight. Um, and he wants Bradis next, who's the top of the line when it comes to the cruiserweights, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But as far as a coli, he has the fairy tale story of working at McDonald's um, several years back, you know, and then he was 240 pounds and he, he started trimming down. He's being groomed and mentored by AJ, you know, the lightweight Huatsi is also being mentored by AJ. AJ might need a little mentoring himself you know, after uh, taking that L yesterday against Usyk. But um, the guy's easy to root for. He's a good guy, you know. He, uh, the other thing I do, I want to shout out the UK yesterday, man. They treated Roy Jones really well. They treated him really classy yesterday. They treated him like royalty um, at that fight by praising him so much, you know. So, you know, shout out to those guys for that. Um, you guys mentioned pretty much everything that happened in the fight because it was a third round KO. Um, when the fight started, you know, I'm gonna be honest with you. I was thinking, I said, this is gonna be like when the fight actually started, like the first round, as soon as the opening bell, I said, this is gonna either be an easy victory, easy night for Okoli, or it's gonna be a very difficult one because just the way um, Prasovic, he fights with his head straight up in the air. And so I was wondering to myself, I was like, is he just like vulnerable like that? Or is that like a strategy to throw his opponent off? Because some guys, have that style 
and people just can't hit him flush. Like Aaron Pryor used to be like that. He'd have his head straight up in the air, but nobody ever really clocked him. Johnny Tapio was like that. Um, Castaño is like that to a certain degree, the fighter that fought against the Charlo, you know? And so I was wondering, I said, but soon enough, um, I kind of got the answer to my question in round two. Round one, it was a filling out round. I gave it to Okoli, but I can see it being a 10-10 round. Round two had to be a 10-8 because he caught him uh, with an overhand right, you know, that dropped uh, Prosevich. And then, like you said, in round three, he was trying to time him again and drop a right hand over the top to go ahead and take advantage of Prosevich, you know, head up type of style. Because he was just right in the line of his right hand. And, and the announcers kept saying that, like, dude, you're going to have to either get on the far left or far right, do something, but you can't just stay right there in a the line of fire. And he never took that advice. Nobody ever gave him that advice, according to what I was hearing inside the corner either. And it doesn't seem like they trained to do that either. Um, but once uh, Okoli um, tried to attempt to land a right hand, they kind of got tangled up a little bit. And then in the process of that, Prasevich was open to the body and Okola just threw a right hand to the body and landed straight right there in his rib cage. The fact that he really wasn't able to brace himself, I think that that's what caused even more damage um, and he couldn't rise um, and he was counted out. You know, another good victory for Okola, like you said, Prasevich was unwilling to take the step aside money. I kind of think that he was smart to do that because he may have lost before he had an opportunity to fight for the belt. And I'm, I'm sure that that was probably the most money that he's made, you know, and it's unless they were going to give him some, you know, a nice chunk of cheese, you know, to, to step aside, then he made a, a poor decision. And then he probably could have just held out until he got an opportunity again. That would have been two paydays. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a good victory for a coli um, or a coli under those circumstances. Now, again, like you said, he wants to unify those belts. Ah, oh, man, it's, 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 I don't know. You know, part of me thinks that he might need to take advantage of that bridge weight, weight class, that 220 pound weight class. And then until he kind of fully gets acclimated to being a heavyweight and kind of gauge how it is to fight bigger fighters, because he's taking advantage of all of the attributes that he has, six, five and a half, 82 and a half inch reach. He has the, his reach is a little bit longer than AJ. So he's taking advantage of all of those, those things, you know, in order to get these victories. Um, and he wants Braders next. The announcers made a good point that you have other champions out there. And if you want to unify, you'd probably be better suited to fight the other champs who are not as skillful as Maris Braders. Because Maris Braders, he has that experience. He has the skill and he packs a pretty good punch. So that experience alone um, is going to be only, I would favor a coli, a coli, if a coli, not a coli, if Bradis is over the hill because he's getting up there. He's got to be about 36 years old. So I don't know when he's going to start showing his age. But the fact that he just beat um, Dordicus in his last outing, Dordicus is a huge power punch and cruiserweight that has some skills and he's experienced as well. So, and he's tall. So I think if he can handle somebody like Dordicus, then I don't think that he wouldn't be able to handle a because a Coley has some holes in his game because he didn't, he's just really coming into his own to a certain degree, but he still got a lot of stuff to work on. So I would be a little bit weary and a little fearful if I was um, in his camp 
of him taking on such a challenge. But if he's able to get those belts at cruiserweight, then it's just going to make him more marketable as a heavyweight going against those other guys. He has some skills that may give them trouble, but it's still some wrinkles in his game that he still needs to work on. But overall, it was a good win in order for him to, you know, stay busy in the fact that the guy wouldn't take the step aside money. You got anything else on um, Akoli's or Akoli's victory yesterday? No, sir. I got nothing. All right, bet. Um, another fight that was on that card. It was a really good card yesterday, man. Shout out to the zone. Shout out to Eddie, you know, for putting on a good show. Um, you had Callum Smith, you know, he got back into the ring the first time in the ring after losing to Canelo Alvarez. He made his campaign um, at 175 for the first time. And he was taking on a fighter from Santa Domingo, Dominican Republic, and Lenny Castillo. How did you think uh, old Callum looked yesterday? Oh man, I thought he looked good. Uh, it's first, like you said, it was first first fight at uh, light heavyweight since moving up um, after the uh, loss to Canelo Alvarez. Um, he, he's six foot three with seventy eight reach. Uh, taking on Lennon Castillo, who's six foot two with a 76 inch reach. The first thing I said when I saw the ring is uh, Castillo can't be six foot two. He looked so much shorter. He looked a little bit shorter. Uh, uh, weight can be, you know, distributed differently. So, but he, he did look a little smaller than, than I expected. Uh, he didn't look around anywhere around the same size as Callum Smith. And I guess Callum, like he fits into um, light heavyweight pretty pretty well um but it just like the uh the uh, Akoli fight this fight was was kind of short even a, a shorter fight um <laughs> where Callum Smith hit him with the right hand and Castillo that was all, all she wrote and Castillo leg was sh shaking it was kind of scary and I, and I want to say this is probably this could be uh, a knockout of the year uh contender if not this could win it I mean it was a scary knockout um the reports that they they, they carry uh, Castillo out uh, on a stretcher. Uh, he was checked out by uh, the doctors, and he's been medically cleared, so he's okay. But it it was a scary uh, thing to see. Uh, it, it's one of those 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 knockouts that a casual fan might laugh at. I think it's funny, but it it was kind of you know scary. I've never seen someone's leg shake like exactly like that. So uh, it was a good win for Callum Smith. Uh, like a, just like someone like uh anthony joshua i mean this this is the type of fight that anthony joshua would, would need that I, I would like for him next to fight someone just to get his confidence back uh kenneth smith he, you know that knockout was good for him I, i'm not sure if i expected a knockout that fast as, as smith isn't known as a, a power puncher like that but he looked good um you know um off of the beating that he took from, from uh canelo which i thought his uh, arm or bicep would be messed up, but looked all right. Um, so props to Callum Smith. Yeah, Callum, you know, he looks strong, man. Uh, that's what I uh, noticed out the gate. He looks much more, he looked less frail. Like he looks sturdier at 175 pounds than he did at 168. You can tell that that cut, you know, was kind of having him a little bit more, um, or less durable and less, like I said, less sturdy. You know, he just looked flimsier at 168, although he still had like a, a like solid biceps and things like that. Um, then the other thing that I noticed is that 
his accuracy, you know, and he's very technically sound. So he's going to be a good, you know, solid opponent. He's going to be a tough out for any of those guys at light heavyweight. When you mentioned um, the shot that sent shockwaves um, through Lennon Castillo, um, you're right. You know, his legs were shaking uncontrollably. And the crazy thing is that Castillo typically is a durable guy. He went 12 rounds with Dimitri Bivol. And so that, you know, it kind of puts your antennas up when you think about, you know, Caleb Smith's power at 175. You know, he might have been doing himself a disservice by, you know, going down in weight in order to make 168. But he didn't do himself a disservice because he got a nice payday against Canelo, although it was a, a loss. Um, but I did see that happen before. As I remember, um, it was a couple of times. Wilder, when he knocked out, I think it was around 2013, when he knocked out Lokovic. And he he hit him, and then those legs just couldn't stop shaking. You know what I'm saying? There's a couple other times I've seen that, but it was very scary, you know, and I'm glad that they were able to get to him, you know, get him some medical assistance, and it seems like he's responsive now. Um, I don't know where he's going to go, you know, next in his career. Uh, you know, that happened to um, – what's my man name that fights – with Floyd, um, he got he got knocked out cold like that too. Love, oh Jaylen Love, Jaylen Love got knocked out that like that too. And when guys come back from that sort of thing, it's kind of scary. You know what I mean? Like how are they, how how is their punch resistance going to be? You know, as they come back in their career, if they come back. But all in all, it was a good victory uh, for Caleb Smith. I think that. He put the 175-pound weight class on notice, you know, with that performance yesterday. So I'm interested to see how his career um, pans out moving forward. Yeah, there isn't really much to say about a two-round fight that y'all haven't said already. Um, I just, I'll just echo you guys' sentiments because that's what I was going to say anyway. I thought he looked good. I thought he physically and in terms of in the ring, I thought he really, his body really fills out light heavyweight better than than it did at 168. And, and yeah, I'm just interested to see how he shakes up that division a little bit because, like you said, he he does now share a common opponent with Bivol. Um, Bivol fought Castillo back in 2009, back in 2019, and it went the distance. And so for him to have done that in this fight, um, and yeah, and, and better be you've kind of looked, you know, a little long in the tooth earlier this year, and so. You know, it's possible he's going to put himself in a position to to shake some things up. So I'm going to see how that goes. So the last topic, I'm sure everybody's seen it at this point, but at the Canelo Alvarez, Caleb Plant press conference, um, they got into a little a little scuffle, a little scuffle at the end there or whatever. Did you guys, is there anything you guys can take from that? Or what, do you guys have any thoughts on that? What You know, I'm interested to hear what you guys at. Well, I'll just give a, Brief synopsis on what I saw, you know, first thing I do want to say is that just it wasn't a good start, you know, to this promotion for Caleb Plant. So this is what I noticed. So, you know, Plant and Canelo, they was kind of like drawing at each other. Then Canelo decided to push him. Well, he pushed the heck out of Plant. And so Plant came back and tried to sneak in a quick left hook and Canelo the thing about Canelo, I could, you know, when I went back to revisit it, when they were up on each other, Canelo immediately took his shades off 
And so now I know Canelo, he was already ready for the smoke. He was prepared already for whatever was going to happen. So when it was John and then Plant, you know, was talking crazy, whatever it is he said, I don't know what he said, but Canelo took offense, pushed him, almost um, he definitely um, pushed him out of the, the, off the screen, you know? So he comes back, throws the quick left, Canelo with the reflexes of a cat, got out the way and then came back, you know, with a mean right hand and um, smacked Caleb Plant, you know, he smacked the head out, heck out of uh, Caleb Plant, you know, across the face. And he even like has a, like a little cut, little abrasion, you know, underneath his eye. I don't think that's going to affect him too much, you know, in preparation for the fight. But, you know, it just wasn't a good start for Caleb Plant. Now, I give Canelo, you know, going into this fight, he's already up 10-8. You know, that was a 10-8 round right there for Canelo. And the little bit of what I saw is – Plant looks, you know, obviously he's a lot taller. He's 6'1", Canelo, probably 5'9", maybe 5'8". And so he has an advantage there. But Canelo is, he's just one of them sturdy dudes. Canelo, he has a unique physique. Like, when you look at him in his clothes, he has to get his stuff tailored, like everything, because he's just, just the way his physique is. But it reminds me of this. So they say, like, in the animal kingdom, that if you were going to make the perfect killer of the cats, it wouldn't be a tiger, it wouldn't be a lion, it would be a jaguar because of the fact that they're just built for that, right? Like the speed that they have, the amount of pressure, like when they bite their prey, and then like the agility that they have. And that looks like Canelo. You look at his physique, his ability, um, it's just he's always ready. You know what I mean? Like he's just always ready for the smoke. And so that's something you gotta be cognizant of with, with him. And that's what I took out of this little exchange is that Canelo is the consummate professional. He's the consummate, you know, gritty type dude that he's not trying to lose anything. Press conference, fight. And so that's what I gathered from him. Also in his press conferences, when they began to speak, I didn't see, like, if something like that happens, somebody touch you. I'm thinking that when you are, when it's your turn to talk, that you're really going to be upset about the situation that just occurred. I didn't see that in Plant. I saw Plant just telling the story. It seemed like he had something that he wanted to say that was like pre-written or pre-planned. And so he just went through with that, didn't show any signs of that particular incident affecting him. I didn't like that. Now, some people may look at it and say, you know what, you know, he's a professional, so he's gonna get in there and stick to what it is that he does. And, you know, that's how he's gonna be victorious. That's the approach you should take because he's a professional fighter. I just didn't like that. I, I want to see that dog in you. Like, man, don't ever do nothing like that again. You know, you know, just that that heart, that that desire, that that those kahunas. I didn't see that in plant. And so that's what I took out of this. I even made Canelo even more of a favorite because I can see the dog in him. And I didn't see that in plant. And it's just like, and then when I couple that with the fact of me seeing plant against guys like most recently, Caleb Truex, it was certain parts of the fight where he looked like, and it could have been the level of composition he's fighting up to the level of composition. It could have been that, but it was just certain times Truex was touching him and you can't let Canelo have those opportunities. And I think those opportunities are going to come, especially when it gets later in the fight. But from what I saw in that press conference, I just saw the dog in one of the fighters and I, I saw a lack of a dog in the other fighter. So I'll kind of like say what I saw and, and what I read and kind of go off of that. So 
the, the general sentiments going into it was I saw after an interview with Plant after the fact, and he was saying how guys have already lost a fight before they even fought Canelo and how they showing too much respect and all this stuff. So Plant went in there with the general sentiment of I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna let this dude think I'm scared of him. I want this dude to know that I'm I'm with it. And so he says something, I don't know the verbatim, but he says something to Canelo in the face off, something along the lines. I don't know, you know, again what it said, but he threw an MFR in there. And Canelo took that as a literal insult to his mother, which is why Canelo pushed him the way he did. Now, what Canelo did right was take his shades off after he pushed him. What Plant did wrong is keep his shades on and then decide to go in for open hand slap. Um, because when he got hit back, the shades are what cut him under the eye. And that could have been bad for everybody if that was a worse cut. And so, um, so in, in a way, like I, I thought I, if I had to choose a winner or a loser, I would choose Canelo off the strength of like, it seemed like he had been there before. But I did think it was weird that he responded to just an MF or that way, especially after he had said the same thing to Andre in that post that post um, fight presser after he beat uh, Sanders. But, you know, maybe, maybe that's the, what he wanted to do in that moment in order to turn up the heat. But I don't really, I, I don't put a lot of stock in anything else that happened. Um, in a sense that I don't think it changes what I think is what was going to happen. You know, I just think that uh, there's a little bit of wanting to sell it and a little bit of egos flaring. And that's just what happens. That's what you get when that happens. That's all I got. I think it did uh, what they, they both wanted to do. It got people talking. This is the talk on ESPN and on the major outlets. And, and that's what they would need for, for a big fight like that. But at the same time, I think it was the wrong move that could have went haywire. And I'm more, way more disappointed, disappointed in Plant than I am Canelo. Um, of course, um, Canelo pushed Canelo Plant, but all Plant had to do was push him back or not do anything at all. That's fine. But you had to try to swing on him. And I, and I thought that was the wrong thing to do. But then, of course, Canelo called him back. And now these guys, now they're about to mess the money up, you know what I'm saying? Especially for Caleb Plant. He messing his own money up because Canelo, let's say that cut gets worse or it gets in the sparring and that cut just opens up whatever happens. Uh, Canelo can find another opponent, the level of a Caleb plant. And I'm not talking about skill level. I'm talking about marketability and Canelo could find a, an, another name and make the same amount of money or probably even more. Plant can't find another Canelo and make that type of money. So I'm way more disappointed that Plant, you know, had to react to that. Sometimes you have to swallow that pride and say, look, I'm going to wait to the fight to put it on you. Now, as you said, Danny, um, it started because uh, allegedly um, Plant uh, called Canelo uh, a derogatory term and uh, Canelo took it as he's talking about his mother, even though he said the same thing. Canelo, who's, you know, uh, uh, he he's pretty much speaks minimum English now, and he can say a lot of words. He said the same thing to uh, Demetrius uh, Andre. Now, um, I, th I, I think that's kind of a cop-out. I don't think that's really what it's about. I think it, it, 
I think what checked Canelo out, Canelo off really, I think was, and that, this is just my opinion or what I think, is that Caleb Plant uh, going around saying that Canelo Alvarez is a cheater, and that's leading to uh, Canelo's uh, failed PED test. Uh, I guess around the time that the, 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 uh, the Triple G fights was went on. I think that kind of touched, set Canelo off more than anything as far as a, a, a respect thing. Uh, so Alvarez basically saying, like, look, this guy's not on my level. He's not authorized to be saying anything about me. And I, and I, I think it's going to, you know, going to be an interesting fight once it happens. And, and like uh, both of you said, especially you, Will, I think it, it does put a cap on in, in, in Canelo's, uh, a feather in Canelo's cap. I think it, it he comes out as more, he won the middle battle pretty much. You know, he's showing that he's the big dog. And it's up to Plant to, to really uh, not uh, lose that confidence in himself. If, if Plant could just believe that, that he can beat Canelo and, and, and train as hard as he can to try to, to implement uh, his style on Canelo, I think that's the best he can do versus mentally breaking down over it and getting lost in the moment because he, he never uh, – been to this arena before and i also think that yeah he's going to suffer from what we said earlier that he, he should have taken those that, that that the david benavidez fights and those type of fights before he got to to canelo i wouldn't even mind him taking a charlo fight before he got to canelo because at least he would have been on that stage before and been ready um but we'll see what, what's going to happen that's why fighters fight the fights i mean we could always you know predict what we think is going to happen but what's in the ring is is the truth you know what Canelo was saying? Like, it ain't no hypocrisy. Canelo is saying, I can say what I want, but you can't say that to me, punk. <laughs> That's what Canelo's saying to him. Like, you call me those type of names, just what's gonna happen. But I can say what it is. I'm the cash cow, I'm the best in boxing. You dudes are, are, are poodles, you know what I'm saying? I'm the big dog. So you come up here to my press conference, I selected you, you didn't select me. Don't come up here, show some respect. So you get to talking out of, out of, out of your mouth crazy, I'm gonna have to put these paws on you. And so that's what Canelo did, you know? And so Plant, just like you said, Plant had the, the game plan of, you know, entering to the press conference that he was going to, you know, do what he, he was gonna do. And Canelo had his response to whatever it is that you're gonna do. I got a, a plan when I come up here too. And one thing is we're not tolerating any disrespect. Punk. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I look at it. Anything else, you know, when it comes to that press conference? Uh, November 6th, check it out. November 6th, eighth round, ninth round knockout, you know, for the cinnamon man. Now, you guys, did you get get a chance to check out old Sergio? I know it's time to wrap things up, but did you get a chance to see Sergio Martinez yesterday? He had a fight against uh, Brian Rose. Did y'all see that? Yeah, I checked out some of it. Uh, it was interesting because it, it did look like for some spots that Sergio was back in old form, he fighting the way that he fights. Of course, he's older now, so he can't, you know, he's not as fast and he's not, his reflex is not as good. But, you know, it seemed like he, he had fun trying to fight in his older style. And then at some spots, he would put his hands up and stuff like that. So uh, he did win a decision. I mean, uh, I don't put too much stock in it because I still think uh, Martinez just, you know, he just, pretty much closing his career out and getting making a few bucks while, you know, get some wins, confidence under his belt. Uh, personally, I don't think he should fight for, I'm not sure if he should fight for a title, but who am I? You know, I'm not a professional. I don't, I'm not in his shoes, mm -hmm. but you know, it, it was, 
entertaining to see him try at least attempt to fight in his old style and and use his little fates and stuff like that and come in with his hands down and not not take too much punishment. Yeah, that's exactly what he did. Like to start the fight, he came down that old typical Sergio Martinez hands down, you know, baiting his opponent to throw punches and then trying to land his counters or just lead sometimes in that that fast. He got clocked in the second round. He, his legs shook up a little bit. Good thing for him, Brian Rose isn't a power puncher, or that would have been, you know, it would have been bad for old Sergio. But, you know, again, Sergio looked old, though. Like, he looked like a mid-40s, early 50s version of himself. I'm talking about physically. Like, he looked good for his age, but it just looked like an old dude out there doing those little tricky moves. And so, um, to me, Sergio is just always Sergio. He's, he's always going to have trouble, because even when he fought against – Miguel Cotto, there's a lot of people saying, oh, he gonna, Cotto's, uh, he's going to be Cotto, you know, this and that. I never thought that even at his best, I thought Cotto was always going to be a horrible matchup for him because Sergio's going to have trouble against guys who are heavy-handed, fundamentally sound, and they're not slow. And so Cotto checked all of those boxes. There's other guys out there, too, that would have, you know, given him fits, you know, just based on that. That technically sound piece is important because he's so unorthodox that it's like a um, Hasim um, Hamed, right? You putting him in there with a Barrera, then that's a little bit more difficult for him to handle than somebody else because the fundamentals, they'll run you into stuff. And they just so technically sound that it kind of cancels out all of that awkward stuff that you're attempting to do. Um, last thing that I'm going to say is that, see, it's unfortunate. When we had this conversation about Sergio Martinez in the past, he was fighting a couple months ago. We were thinking since he had this promotional company that he was trying to build that and he was using his name to, you know, get more fans for future um, shows and future fights. That's not the case. He's really trying to fight the elite middleweights. So he was saying like he's look next, he's looking for one of the big guns at middleweight. He wants the belt. And if you look at all of the middleweights, it's not going to end well for Sergio Um because he's even talking about like Triple G, um, like uh, a Charlo, you know, he wants one of the belts and they're going to put him to sleep. That guy yesterday rocked him. He only has like, he's a very light puncher. And as the fight went on, he started losing more and more of the little bit of power that he had. So it really wasn't affecting Sergio when he was landing on straight rights. But those other guys, they're going to demolish him and hopefully Hopefully, um, it won't get sanctioned for him to be able to fight one of those guys. I hope to God that they don't. Last thing I'm going to say about Sergio, it's like Tupac said back in the day when he said, uh, he was talking about rappers, but I'm just going to say all these old fighters trying to advance, it's all over now. Take it like, like a man. So that's all I got from that. Um, if you guys, you guys have anything else before we wrap things up? No, sir. I, you pretty much said it. Yeah, I'm good. Another good app. It wasn't as contentious today. It wasn't, it wasn't as uh, chippy. You know what I'm saying? We didn't have any of those topics that were chippy today, but everybody got off their opinions, and uh, I think that it was a good show. Make sure you check it out. Um, again, I apologize, man. I stay so busy. Every time I think that I'm able to put something on YouTube, it's like they bombard me with more and more stuff at work, but I'm going to try to do better. But on that note, hopefully you enjoyed the show, and we'll catch you next week. Peace. Peace. Peace.